0: What's up, guys? How you doing? Welcome back to another episode of Brian Carter on 9, a 49ers podcast. It's a good day today. It's a good day because we have a victory Wednesday, a woot woot Wednesday, a win Wednesday, whatever you want to call it. The 49ers decided that they were sick of this four game losing streak and they were going to get a win put up a dub against a team that they should have beat and they did so it's a good feeling obviously it wasn't perfect but there was a whole lot of good and ending a four game losing streak it feels good you know the the team they were fired up about it afterwards the coaches feel you know obviously a bit of relief that's understandable and some players played very very well And we're going to talk about it a bit. So, what happened in the game? Uh, Before I get into that, obviously like, comment, subscribe, all that other fun stuff. Anyways, so, what stood out? Um, The main things that, uh, as far as the main storylines of this game, is the offense. We finally saw the offense clicking. It wasn't perfect, but they got... They gained a lot of yards, and they did put up a good amount of points. So, ultimately, I don't remember the exact numbers, but I think they put up around 450 to 460 total yards of offense. It's pretty good. And they put up 33 points against the Bears. Now, the Bears aren't a good team. The Bears have a losing record. Uh, They were missing Khalil Mack. And, you know, they have a rookie quarterback and they don't really have a whole lot of talent on defense. But you know what? When you're supposed to win a game, you win the game. And that's what they did. They went out there. They executed better. They played better. They said, we have more talent than you. We have better players than you. We will outperform you from a talent perspective and we will beat you from a schematic and scheme perspective And like I mentioned last week, you know, Jimmy's and Joe's X's and O's. We got both of them. We should win this game. If we didn't win this game, I was basically ready to say, hey, this season is done. Uh, But since we have won the game, it's good news. So let's let's talk about the main headlines of the game. And I would say biggest headlines. First one Jimmy Garoppolo finally has a good game. (laughs) And, you know, I've been very critical of Jimmy, but Jimmy finally decided to show up this game. He was pretty accurate. Uh, He threw some good balls. He was willing to stretch the field deep. I remember versus the Colts. You remember hearing me complain, it was pitiful, he could barely throw the ball more than five yards. When he did, it was wobbly, it was floating, it was inaccurate, he couldn't throw the ball, he had zero zip. This game was the opposite. This game, Jimmy was pretty accurate, he was stretching the field, pushing the ball downfield. It started immediately, like, second play of the game. So the first play on offense is, I want to double check here. First play of the game, short pass to Debo, bounces off Debo's hands. Second play, second play of the game, and that was a short pass. It looked like Debo was making like a like a now slant, like a quick like one-two bam slant. Uh, Debo dropped it. Debo really needs to work on the drops. Debo leads the league in drops. But he also leads the league in like pretty much every catch uh, receiving category outside of total yards, which I believe he's second to Cooper Cup, who's played an extra game, and has like 20 more catches. So Debo's crushing it. He just got to work on those couple concentration drops that he has every game. Um, but anyways, short pass to Debo. Second pass, the Bears show a blitz from a front. It looks like it's a single high, man-on-man type of coverage. So, Jimmy just right away, second snap, deep pass to Ayuk. You've got Ayuk one-on-one on the outside, and Ayuke beats his guy, uh, creates just enough separation. They don't connect. It's, I would say, I, I don't know exactly how the timing is. Again, I'm not a... Football genius, but it, he didn't. He wasn't able to hit Ayuk. It looked like it was about one or two yards in front of him. But you know what? Hey, if you're going to miss, miss long. And the fact that he was willing to stretch the ball the second play of the game was a good thing. It showed the Bears, hey, we are not afraid to air it out. We will target you downfield. Be ready for it. Because Jimmy was willing to air that hoe out. Credit Eric Crocker for that. <laughs> So yeah, awesome stuff. So deep pass misses Ayuk, but that's another good thing, you know. We're we're targeting Ayuk. I think Ayuk had 7 targets and 4 catches. So this is a great game for Ayuk. His blocking showed up massively. Just pure effort. There was one play that's been circling around Twitter. He goes all the way across the field like and then upfield like 20 yards. So he goes from, like, the right side of the field way over to the left side, does a block downfield to clear up Elijah Mitchell to gain another, like, 10 or 20 yards on a run. Uh, So Ayuk has been crushing it. Uh, Third play of the game was a third and 10. Threw it to Sanu, and nice catch by Sanu. Catches it at the sticks. Jimmy anticipates it. Perfect ball. And then gets another 8 or 9 yards after the catch for a gain of 20. So, things were starting out good. Elijah Mitchell, he was crushing it. Um, but yeah, so I would say that would be storyline number one. Jimmy had a good game. It wasn't a perfect game. It wasn't an elite game. It wasn't something that where you know, like people are going to watch the highlight reel and be like, wow, that was incredible. But you know what? By Jimmy standards, Jimmy had a good game. This was probably in my opinion, this is the best game that he's played since 2019. So, probably the, you know, it was a it was a good game. If this is the Jimmy that we get, that's a great thing. I don't think it is. I think that Jimmy has showed that he is very inconsistent. He can occasionally put together a really good half. Of a football game, and he did have a really good second half. His first half was pretty good, though. This was as far as a full game performance. This is probably the best full game performance that he's had since you know mid late 2019. I've heard some people saying the Saints game, which I went to. He was really good at that Saints game, but again, just overall really good performance by Jimmy. Uh, PFF gave him an 80.4, if I remember correctly, which you know, that's, that's very good by PFF standards. Um, I believe that that ended up putting him somewhere around, I think I can pull it up here, but I think it ended up putting him around like fourth overall for, in terms of quarterbacks. So Jimmy was the fifth highest graded player with an 80.2. All right. Just a little bit off. Still though, 80 grade, very good, uh, versus the Colts. I think he had like a 45 or a 46, something like that. So, Good game from Jimmy. He was throwing the ball downfield. He was accurate, uh, mostly over the middle. There was a couple drops early on, and uh, the Niners still have drops as a problem. But overall, Jimmy had a very good game. Uh, The next major headline would have to be Debo. Debo Samuel was incredible. He had a couple early drops, but he ended up not letting that bother him. And he had six receptions for 170 yards. Like, just... That's insane. Six receptions, 170 yards. Debo is just looking at the NFL and saying, like, fuck you, watch this. And just showing up every single game. And it's like every game is his best game. It's incredible. He had... He had a, he caught that 50 yard bomb from Jimmy. So Jimmy had a deep bomb. It was, uh, it was, it was a really good pass. Uh, it was 50 yards. Debo was running a deep post and Jimmy let the ball fly. The instant that he saw the underneath safety, uh, commit to an in-breaking route underneath. And he knew that Debo was going to be open deep. And Jimmy threw a 50 yard bomb at the end of the half Debo catches it at, I think it was like the three-yard line or something, and they ran up to spike the ball. So Jimmy with the deep pass to Debo. Debo obviously also had that 83-yard screen pass where it was 3rd and 19, and usually you just throw a screen pass on a 3rd and 19. You kind of hope that you're going to gain three, four, five, eight yards or whatever just to get a little more room for the punter, but no. Now not Debo. Debo was like, forget this, I'm getting a touchdown. And took it 83 yards. He ended up getting drug out of bounds at like the one yard line. But just incredible. Third and 19 and you get 83 yards on a screen. Yeah, so Debo, just incredible. And I would say the other major thing in terms of offensive headline was just the blocking the pass blocking all day was great. Jimmy had so much time in the pocket. He had, there was multiple times where I was like, he's just standing there. He's just standing there. He's waiting. He'd shuffle over to the side a little bit, keep looking around. And it was awesome. It was awesome seeing Jimmy actually have time in the pocket, not be under pressure. The pass blocking was awesome. And again, The Bears didn't have Khalil Mack. Uh, Their two best players on the defensive line would be Robert Quinn and Akeem Hicks, who are solid, but they're not Khalil Mack. So, versus a Khalil, if Khalil Mack is in that game, it's a different game. But he wasn't, and you play who's on the schedule. And in that game, our pass blocking was awesome. Jimmy had tons of time. I don't think he took a single sack. Uh, He's barely under pressure. Jimmy was awesome. The run blocking was even better, though. The run blocking, we were getting run blocking from everybody. Everyone was pitching in. Uh, Special shout out to Charlie Warner and Juszczyk. There was a couple plays that were just beautiful where they were both like competing to see who could have the most blocks. And it would be like one guy would hit a guy. The other guy would finish him off with a pancake. And then he'd run down and block another guy. And then the other guy would catch up and block another guy. And it was just awesome. Use check and Warner are just blocking machines. Great out in space. Charlie Warner. this He has really come out this year. And amplified his level of play. And his run blocking is just so good. Like. Charlie, uh, Ross Dwelly. He's not even playing anymore just because Charlie Warner has been so good in the blocking. He's like a Mack truck, just running down there, smashing guys and running them over one second. All right. And I'm back. Uh, what was I saying? That's right. Charlie Warner's run blocking has been awesome this year. I cannot wait to see Charlie Warner. With George Kittle and Yuschek out there just pancaking motherfuckers like crazy. Kittle should be back this week. Um, They opened his practice window off of IR and he was at practice today. It's Wednesday. So good news on that front. The run blocking in this game was amazing. Uh, Which brings us to the next thing Elijah Mitchell. Welcome to the NFL. Elijah Mitchell had over 130 rushing yards. He didn't even have 20 attempts. I think it was 137 rushing yards and a touchdown on 17 carries. There was a point during the game where he was averaging 9 yards per attempt. That is ridiculous. Even after he got stuffed in the backfield in the fourth quarter for a couple losses... He was still averaging by the end of the game around seven yards a carry. Like, that's insane. You don't get that type of running normally. And he just looked awesome. He was running hard. He was running, you know, behind his pads. He was running powerfully. He was hitting the holes, exploding through the holes, finding the right gaps, uh, evading and weaving his way downfield he was letting his blockers block for him running behind the blockers setting up blocks just Elijah Mitchell was awesome and it's so exciting to see everything finally come together in an offensive explosion you know like finally Jimmy has a good game arguably the best game that he's had in a couple seasons On top of that, the pass blocking is elite, the run blocking is elite, Debo Samuel goes off for 170 yards, and then you get a running back that goes off for over 130 yards. Literally everything was clicking on offense. Uh, The biggest issues that were going on was they just struggled a little bit in the red zone early. So there was a whole lot of field goals during the first half of the game. And then they ended up adjusting some things in the second half. And then they put up some serious points. And that would probably be the next, I guess you could call it like a headline or a big point of this game, was the second half adjustments. So in the first quarter, I'm just going to go through the drives real quick. Uh, the first drive is 47 yards, 13 plays, and a missed field goal. Second play is is 45 yards, 7 plays, and a field goal. The next drive is 8 plays, 41 yards, and a field goal. And then we have 8 plays, 70 yards, and a field goal. That was the one where Jimmy, Jimmy threw the deep bomb. So again, we're getting multiple first downs. We're converting third downs. But all we're doing is getting field goals. So, then in the second half... 10 plays, 90 yards, touchdown. Then 7 plays, 52 yards, touchdown. Then 7 plays, 75 yards, touchdown. Then the final possession uh, that mattered was 7 plays, 49 yards, and a field goal to put it at 33-22 for the win. I'm not going to count the final possession because that was just kneeling out the clock. Three plays, negative three yards to kill the clock. So you can see very big difference in terms of red zone efficiency um, in the second half. You know, they started out, they they were moving the ball. They were getting, you know, 40, 50 yards per possession, but they were only turning it into a field goal. Then in the second half, they made some adjustments. And touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. So the second half adjustments were very, very good. I did like that. It was also like that on defense. Our defense was not that great in this game, but they did tighten it up in the second half. So in the first half of the game, they allowed the Bears... Let's see here. So 56 yards and a touchdown, 69, or sorry, 56 yards and a field goal, 69 yards and a touchdown, and then the third one, 57 yards and a field goal. So the Bears were able to have a 13-9 lead going into the half. And we didn't want to go into the half behind. But then the defense decided that they were made some good adjustments in the second half. They shut down the run game. So in the first half, Khalil Herbert was just gashing the team for good runs. And then they finally made some adjustments. And then they shut down the running game in the second half significantly. Now Justin Fields had a, probably his best game so far. Uh, and Justin Fields himself had over 100 rushing yards. He was able to break contain a couple times, and the kid's fast. I mean, he runs a 4-4. Four, four. If he is able to break contain, get out of the pocket, run, he sees some green grass in front of him, he can pick up 10, 15, 20 yards real quick. Um, but the second half bears possession, 57 yards field goal, then a punt, then they get a touchdown, then they get a punt, and then we intercept him. So, as you can see, the second half, it was better. We forced two punts in the second half, and we had an interception when they were trying to drive down the field real quick. So, those were probably the the biggest headlines of the game. So, Jimmy Garoppolo having a good game, Debo having a huge game, run blocking, pass blocking, Elijah Mitchell, and second half adjustments. And... It was just so good to see that, and you can see what I've been saying. This team does have the ability to compete if they just stop beating themselves, Uh, which brings me to my next point. They didn't beat themselves with penalties. We didn't have a single pass interference. We had one defensive holding call, Josh Norman, of course, but... We didn't have any defensive pass interferences. This is the first game I can remember this season when we didn't have defensive pass interference. It was awesome. And again, if we can cut the defensive pass interference, obviously we got gashed a bit in the run game. We gave up 22 points, but you know, making those adjustments, lowering those defensive pass interferences, getting the offense humming. There's no reason why this offense shouldn't be able to put up 30 plus points a game, Especially when we're getting back Kittle next week, and uh, another thing that I haven't even mentioned yet, Brandon Ayuk—he had a, or maybe I did, but he had a great game. If we start getting Debo with some explosive plays, Ayuk being a legit receiver, like finally kind of coming into his own, uh, pretty much everyone, including Shanahan himself, said Ayuk had the best game th- this season, and the numbers show it. Again, he had. Like seven targets for you know, whatever it was, uh huh, forty yards. Let me actually look it up real here, real quick here, so I don't sound like a total idiot. <laughs> All right, game summary. There we go. So Brandon Ayuk, seven targets, four receptions, forty-five yards. That's good stuff. Sanu had fifty-nine yards, you know, three receptions on four targets. It was a good game. Uh, Jimmy had over 320 passing yards. Obviously, 83 of those were on one play. So, if you take away that one play, it looks a lot more like a normal Jimmy game where he's, you know, completing about high 60 percentage and about uh, 250 yards. But still, this team put up 33 points. And there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to put up 30 plus points a week when things are clicking. So I really hope that they have figured out what works, what doesn't, and they're going to lean on it because this was a good performance by the offense. Again, not against a good team, but when you're facing a team that you should beat, just handle your business, take care of business. Uh, I want to give some PFF shout outs to the best and worst players uh, who played. So, Two of the best players uh, in this game were the offensive linemen. Trent Williams with a 92 PFF grade and Alex Mack with an 89.9. So we're talking elite offensive line play. And as far as the worst offensive players, Juwan Jennings, Ross Dwelly, Trent Sherfield, none of them really played a major factor in the game. Dwelly with a 50 played 15 snaps So the other two guys only played seven snaps. So, hey, if the people who are barely on the field are your worst players, that's okay. If your offensive line, your quarterback, and two receivers are your best players, that's how you put up points, and that's how they put up points. So, again, two offensive linemen, Trent Williams, Alex Mack, 89 and 92, Sanu with an 84, Debo with an 84, Jimmy with an 80. So that is how you get an offense moving. On defense, the best players on defense, Tavon Wilson, he had an 87. He only played about 13 snaps, and I believe part of the reason why he has such a good grade is because of the interception at the end of the game. Tavon Wilson was the one who broke up the pass. He had very good coverage rep there, and uh, Josh Norman came up with the tip ball drill and caught the interception. Nick Bosa did Nick Bosa things and had an 82 grade. Uh, The defensive line overall wasn't actually that great today. And I guess that'd probably be one of the negatives we'll have to get into. Uh, But Nick Bosa was very good because he's Nick Bosa. And honestly, if Nick Bosa doesn't have an incredible game, I'm like, what was wrong? Because he's always awesome. Fred Warner had the third best grade with a 74. Talanoa Hafunga, rookie making his first start, had a 68.5 grade. And DJ Jones, defensive tackle, only played 37 snaps. So only about a third uh, or probably closer to half, about half of the defensive snaps, he had a 68.2. So the defense, you can see the numbers, not quite as good. And I think that was probably the biggest struggle in this game was the defense just wasn't all that good. The worst defensive Grades, uh, probably the one that hurt the most was Emmanuel Mosley with a 36.9 PFF grade. Um, Mosley just seemed like he wasn't playing very well. I think part of that is because they were playing a lot softer and uh, like a lot more soft off coverage where, hey, just we're going to make you beat us by throwing underneath 15, 20 times. We're not going to get beat over the top. And that's a very good strategy when you're playing against a Justin Fields who can legit throw lasers 50 yards downfield. And you're playing against a Darnell Mooney who has speed and an Allen Robinson who, again, another big physical guy who can beat you at the catch point anywhere on the field. Uh, so Emmanuel Mosley, not the best game from him. Kevin Givens coming back off of the IR had a bad game, 18 snaps of the 36th grade and Jordan Willis who, First game of the season coming off that six game suspension, he had a 46.5. So the the two defensive linemen there, I'm not too concerned. I think they probably just need to, you know, get back in the zone or get back uh, into field form because they haven't played very much. Jordan Willis hasn't played this season. He was very good in the preseason, but he had the six game suspension. This was his first game back. So, hopefully he bounces back with a better game next week. And Kevin Givens, same thing. Coming off of an injury, injured reserve, first game back. So, not going to hate on them too much. And Mosley, I expect Mosley to bounce back. But the defense definitely didn't have as good of a game as the offense. So, trying to think here about any other main points. So, again... Jimmy had a great game. Elijah Mitchell, or Jimmy had a good game. Elijah Mitchell was great. Debo, amazing. Sanu and Ayuk were good. The O-line was great. Bosa was Bosa. Josh Norman forcing turnovers. He had the interception at the end of the game. If I remember correctly, I think that he had another forced fumble. Um, I've got to look this up here, but I'm pretty sure that Josh Norman, yeah, Josh Norman had a forced fumble. He has a forced fumble every freaking game. That guy is, <laughs> what was it? I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but it was something like uh, like peanut punches and busted coverage. <laughs> and that's Josh Norman, because he's either forcing a fumble, and I swear he forces a fumble every single game, or he's busting a coverage and off his assignment and getting beat somehow, so... Yeah, Josh Norman, peanut punches and busted coverage. (laughs) Uh, That guy's ridiculous. But hey, you know what? I honestly can't hate on him if he's going to keep making plays and keep forcing fumbles and getting interceptions. If you're forcing turnovers, I can accept you making a couple mistakes. Uh, You know, playmakers, I'm willing to accept mistakes if you're also making big plays. And that's what he does. So at the very least, Josh Norman, you know, live by Josh, die by Josh. But he's making plays. Another really good thing, the tackles for a loss. So we had a lot of tackles for loss this game. And it was very boomer bust in terms of the coverages. So it was very much like we were either getting a tackle for a loss or we were allowing a short pass, or we were giving up contain and they were getting a very big gain. All right, let me see here. Where's the defensive tackle for a loss? And of course, I can't find it on here. Can I? Nope, oh, pass catching, rushing, punt returns, kickoff, force fumbles. And other tackle for loss. Here we go. So I believe that we had five tackles for a loss. Yeah, it must be that. So five tackles for a loss uh, for negative 14 yards against the bears. Uh, I believe that's correct. Either way though, point being, lots of tackle for losses. Nick Bosa lives in the backfield. Talanoha Funga was playing very well. It's very good stuff. Also, something interesting that I saw was some of our defensive fronts. I liked that they were mixing up who they were putting on the defensive line and where they were placing people. There was definitely a few fronts where they played where it was four defensive ends, so... It would be like Nick Bosa and Samson Ibukam and Armstead and Arden Key. Uh, or you would be like maybe like mix in Jordan Willis. And those are all defensive ends, not like a nose-tackle DJ Jones type. So it was very interesting seeing a whole a few of those four defensive ends fronts. I kind of like the idea of doing that when they're in a passing, when they're in a passing like a must-pass situation, and especially when you're playing against a faster mobile quarterback. Because it's gonna be very difficult, no offense to DJ Jones, Zach Kerr, and you know those big guys, but it's very hard for your 320-pound defensive tackle to chase down a quarterback who runs a 4-4 or a 4-5. So putting a an extra defensive end in there, allowing that speed uh to face off against guards and centers an interesting thing, so we will see. As far as some other things specifically to the game, the main other thing that I want to address in terms of this specific game was what was happening right before halftime. And there was an interesting story, a report that came out, and it was in regards to how Jimmy was playing in the first half compared to the second half. So I did mention that Jimmy was playing okay in the first half, he wasn't perfect, there were some drops, but in the second half they really turned things up, Jimmy had two rushing touchdowns, and he was playing like a man possessed who was fighting for his job. And I think that's exactly what happened, because apparently, and I heard this from two or three sources, so I'm going to assume that it's true, you never really know, I heard it from... Cone, who uh, was wrote, a, uh, I think, reporting it from Kyle Posey, who I believe heard it from a source, and then I think there was another source, so three or four sources, in other words, reported this. Apparently, Shanahan was getting in Jimmy's face and yelling at him at the end of the first half, and Trey Lance was warming up on the sidelines, so it was looking like with again field goal, field goal, field goal, field goal in the first half, if Jimmy didn't perform really well in that final drive, if they punted it or they ended up with another, uh, if they punted it or just had a very ineffective final drive there, it looked like Jimmy was actually about to get benched at halftime. You've got Trey warming up, Shanahan is in Jimmy's face, and apparently what Shanahan said And again, this is reported off a couple sources, but I got to take it because I heard it from three or four sources, not just one. Apparently Shanahan, when he was yelling in Jimmy's face, he said, this is simple shit. Can you handle it? Now, if your coach and play caller is in the quarterback's face yelling, this is simple shit. Can you do this? And you've got the rookie warming up on the sidelines and you're about to go into halftime. That's not a good look for Jimmy. Now, Jimmy responded very well. Again, in the second half, he had two rushing touchdowns. We had a third rushing touchdown. We went from having, you know, three or four punts to three touchdowns. But I think that right there just kind of shows you how thin, of, how thin the margins are for Jimmy and how he is very much on a short leash. And again, Jimmy had a good game. It wasn't a highlight reel game, but it was a good game. He had a lot of yards, but a lot of that was Debo doing Debo stuff for 80 yards. If Debo doesn't have that 80-yard screen pass, if Jimmy doesn't make that 50-yard bomb, and they're ineffective on that final drive, it looked like they were you know, about that close from actually switching over to Trey in the second half. Again, you got the rookie warming up over there and the coach is in Jimmy's face. So very interesting, interesting thing as far as that goes. So we'll see. I I still personally am of the belief that we need to switch over to Trey as soon as possible. Jimmy had a good game and it looks like Jimmy's going to be the starter versus Arizona. I very much believe at this point that it is a week-to-week thing. And if there's one thing that we have learned about Jimmy Garoppolo at this point, it is that he is very inconsistent. And while this was a good game, I honestly don't expect him to continue having good games like this. If he does, I refer back to my previous statement earlier on in the season that if Jimmy is playing well and we are winning games, I am okay with him starting. Those are the two conditions under which I'm okay with Jimmy starting He is playing well and we are winning. If he is not playing well and we are not winning, I see zero reason to keep Jimmy out there unless it's going to hurt Trey's development. And I don't think putting Trey out there is going to hurt his development. I think it's going to give a a rocket boost because the kid needs reps. And every time we've seen him getting snaps, it looks like he's improving and learning on a snap by snap basis from From drive to drive, from quarter to quarter, he's learning. He's a very fast learning kid. He's super smart. And that was one thing I remember hearing in the pre-scouting process was, hey, this kid was learning and improved every single game. Every game he learned, he got better. And before they knew it, they were undefeated, winning a national championship at North Dakota State. It didn't start out that well. He was getting better every single game. So again, Jimmy had a good game, but if Jimmy isn't playing well and he's not winning, get him out of there, put in Trey. If Jimmy plays as well this week against Arizona, okay, cool. That means we won. And ultimately the wins are what matters. I want Trey out there, but if Jimmy's winning and he's playing well, fine, let him play. But you can tell, it it very much seems like at this point, it's a week-to-week thing. He's on a very short leash. And remember those comments that he had regarding the Colts game. He said, after that Arizona game, he liked Trey's development, he thought he played well, and he thought he was going to take off and start because he was showing promise. But then, unfortunately, he got hurt and Jimmy had to play against the Colts. So Shanahan already told you everything right there within this past week. Trey looked good. He was showing progress. We were really impressed by how, how much he had grown. We were excited for him coming off of the bye. We thought he was going to take off. Unfortunately, he got hurt. We had to start Jimmy. Jimmy struggles the first half against Chicago. Shanahan gets in his face, gets Trey warming up. Then Jimmy comes out and plays the game of his life in the second half. You can see how short of a leash Jimmy's on here. Um, But hey, again, we won. I do want to talk about some other things going on around the league that do affect the 49ers. And then again, Friday, I will put out a preview pod for the Arizona Cardinals. That'll be here in just a couple days. So things around the NFL that will affect the Niners... Though these affect the Niners' standings primarily in terms of, like, playoffs. So these are either teams that we play or other teams that are in the playoff hunt. So first is the Arizona Cardinals. J.J. Watt, he had a whole bunch of injuries in one game. I think he ended up dislocating a shoulder, tearing a shoulder muscle, tearing a bicep, like, all in in the same game, still finished a game because... J.J. Watt is a total badass, uh, but he his season is over. He ended up getting season-ending uh, surgery. So J.J. Watt is out for the season. J.J. Watt manhandled the right side of our offensive line in that first matchup. So that is good for us in terms of facing the Cardinals. Should be easier not having J.J. Watt wreck Mike McGlinchey and Dan Brunskill. Also, it's just one less weapon for the Arizona Cardinals. Also, Kyler Murray is hurt, and he is questionable to play on Sunday. So, Kyler Murray didn't practice today. It's Wednesday. Apparently, he's banged up. He's got an ankle issue that he's been trying to nurse, but he is questionable. Now, I would say it's a 50-50 chance right now. We probably won't know until about Friday, so when we do the preview pod... But if, if Kyler Murray is out and we have to play against Colt McCoy Cardinals and they don't have a J.J. Watt, that game looks a lot more winnable. And if we win that Cardinals game, then we're 4-4 four and four and we are right in the playoff hunt because the rest of the wild card teams it's a whole lot of teams around 500. So J.J. Watt out and Kyler Murray questionable for the game. That's good news for us. The Rams trade so trade deadline. The Rams traded for Von Miller, the All Pro pass rushing, uh, All Pro pass rushing edge defender from the Broncos. They ended up giving their second round pick and a third round pick for him, and the Broncos paid eight nine million out of his nine point seven million dollar salary for this year. This is very much a one-year rental. This is the final year of his contract. He's not the Vaughn Miller of old, but he's still a good pass rusher. He's still an edge threat, and you just added Vaughn Miller to a pretty good defense that already had Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. So that's dangerous for us. I don't think it really affects the Niners all that much just because the Rams are seven and one they're already like at the top of the division and they're already either like going to be a, a divi- they're already either going to win the division or they're going to be like the number, the number five seed most likely. So I don't think it really changes anything for the 49ers. Uh, in terms of that, it's just a very interesting trade that happened. Uh, it'll make it more difficult for us to face the Rams, but I don't think it really affects our playoff standings at all. Now, another thing that happened with injuries around the NFL, Derek Henry is out for the season. It sounds like he had a uh, foot injury. I forget exactly what it was. But Derrick Henry is out for the season. He is. Has, there's a very slight possibility that he makes it back in the playoffs. I highly doubt it. I think it's a Liz Frank or whatever they call when you have that like micro fracture along like the outside bone and like the foot or something. And anyways, though with him being out, the Niners face the Titans uh, Christmas week. So that makes that game a little bit more, a little bit more manageable. So now if we can win against the Cardinals, the Titans are looking a little bit easier without Derrick Henry. That's good news. Obviously they still have AJ Brown, Julio Jones, Ryan Tannehill's playing well. But not having Derrick Henry, that's a good thing for us. Another thing, the Vikings lost Daniil Hunter for the season, so they're losing their best pass rusher. Again, that doesn't affect us directly, but the Vikings are one of those near 500 teams competing for a wild card spot, losing one of your best defensive players. They could lose a game or two because they're missing him, which gives us a better spot for a better opportunity for the playoffs. Jameis Winston, the Saints quarterback, he tore his ACL along with, I believe, some MCL damage. So he's going to be out for the season. The Saints are 5-2. And and I don't know who their quarterback is going to be going forward. I don't know if it's going to be Taysom Hill or if it's going to be Trevor Simeon. Trevor Simeon was the one who finished out the game. They ended up winning the game. And again, they're 5-2. But when you lose your quarterback what's that going to do so again it's a good team but losing your quarterback how are you going to do it's a long season you've still got 8 or 9 or 10 games or whatever left so that could end up having an effect on you know the wild card standings and the final one that I will mention is the Atlanta Falcons another team hovering around 500 uh, Calvin Ridley, their star wide receiver, he is out with personal di- personal reasons for an unknown time frame. Uh, he said he was stepping away from football. I don't know if that means forever. I don't know if that means for the season. I don't know if that means for a month. Uh, but he said he was taking some time away from football for personal stuff. So I hope that whatever it is that he's dealing with, he's able to you know, he's able to get better. Um, but with him being out, that does make the Falcons look a little bit weaker. And again, another team hovering around that 500 range. You can see how like three or four or five of these little things, that could be the difference in not making the playoffs or us being a six or a seven seed. with seven playoff openings in the NFC And us winning this game and a manageable Cardinals game coming up. I think there's a legitimate possibility that we can still make the playoffs, even though we still have a losing record. We're only three and four. We're only a half a game out of the seven seed. And there's a lot of those injuries going around and we are starting to get some reinforcements back. So, The final thing that I want to touch on today is the trade that we made. So the Niners did end up making a trade day of the trade deadline. And who they brought in? They brought in Charles Amenahu, defensive end of the Houston Texans. So I'll be honest, I didn't really know too much about him. Uh, And it's understandable because I don't really watch any Texans games. We don't really play the Texans a whole lot, and he's not a household name. Uh, But I'll give you my one-minute scouting report, 30-second scouting report. (laughs) So what we did was the 49ers traded a 2023 sixth-rounder, so not this upcoming draft, but the following one, for defensive end Charles Amenahu. Charles Amenehu was a fifth-round draft pick in 2019, which means he has this the rest of this current season on his rookie contract as well as next season. So I do like this because we're getting a young, low-cost defensive lineman who has been productive and one of the Texans' better defensive linemen for the last couple of years. We're getting him cost-controlled for a year and a half, and we basically gave up nothing for it. I mean, I pretty much could care less about a sixth-round pick in two years uh, if it gives me a chance to get what looks like a quality player. So to tell you about Charles who I looked up his PFF draft profile. Size-wise, he is the prototype for a big end. So he is six foot five, 275 to 280 pounds. He's got length. He's got strength. He's got like 34, 35 inch arms. So big, strong defensive end. He is a power rusher He's very much an explosive athlete. He's uh, more of like a quick burst kind of guy. He doesn't have a whole lot of long speed or bend. I think he ran like a 4.940. And he's not a super bendy guy. But in terms of like burst off the line, uh, power, length. Just very much what you want from a prototype for a big end. And he is the right size where... He's long enough and explosive enough that he can play a wide nine, which he has. He's played everything from a wide nine all the way to a three technique. And that means the very nice thing about that is that that means they can move him all around the defensive line. And he does have pretty good hand technique. I did like his hand technique. He's got good hands. He's got a chop move. Uh, He's got a couple, couple good pass rush moves. And he's definitely a better pass rusher than a run stuffer. He's not a very good run defender, but I think what they're looking for is they're saying, hey, with Maurice Hurst kind of questionable, out right now, don't know what the time frame is on him, and with Javon Kinlaw out for the season, we need another defensive lineman that we can move move around the defensive line. Arden Key has not been good and Samson Ipucam has unfortunately not really made an impact at all. He did finally have a sack this game, uh, which is good for him. But, you know, like what are we really getting from him? He's not really all that good of a pass rusher. And this is another guy that you can mix in there. So he can play a big end, the opposite of Bosa. I would probably put him, he's kind of like a Jordan Willis type in terms of being like a big end power rusher, more of a uh, explosive power guy than a bendy speed rusher. But I do like it. I like the pickup. He's not going to be a super big impact kind of guy, but what he's probably going to be able to do is come in and rush from the edge position, rush from the inside and probably play 15 or 20 or 25 snaps a game. And I'll take it. You know, you got a young player. He's got some upside. He seems to be pretty good. You know, again, big end, power rusher, explosive athlete, good hands. He's got burst. He's got strength. He's got a decent amount of athleticism. He's a rotational defensive lineman. And if all you're giving up is a very late, two-year-off draft pick, I'm all for it. And we'll have him next year, and he's very cost-effective. I think this year he only costs about $400,000 against the cap, and I think next year it's only like $1 million. So, you know, getting getting young, productive pass rushers, that's a good thing. And I kind of posted the joke on Twitter of the 49ers just picked up a pass rusher named Charles who wears the number 94. And uh, I put a picture of a next to Charles Haley because they wore the same number. So I, d- I don't think he's gonna be anything at all near Charles Haley. I just thought it was kind of funny that we got a, a a 94 defensive lineman named Charles. So I figured I'd play that little play that little that little joke there. Have a little fun with the numbers and the personnel. But either way though, it's a good thing. He's probably gonna get snaps immediately. And, uh, you know, what this team needs, they need to work on a few things on defense still. Obviously, losing the push up the middle is going to be an issue. So the defensive tackles haven't been good, especially with Hurst hurt and Kinlaw out for the season. That means we got to rely on DJ Jones, who's never really been able to stay healthy a full season. He's a quality nose tackle, uh, but he's kind of our only good nose tackle right now. Zach Kerr has not been very good. And I like Eric Armstead playing from the interior, but that means you got to have someone on the outside who can play that edge. So with this, obviously we have Bosa on the edge. Um, since Abukam and Key haven't been very good on the edge, we're bringing in Jordan Willis who can play defensive end, and now we're bringing in this other guy, Charles who He can play defensive end, and then we can kind of rotate them throughout the defensive line. So I really like the move. It's a small move. It's a low cost, you know, potential upside reward. And again, not a great run stopper, but he seems to be a pretty good pass rusher. His his pressure rate this season, I think, is around 12 or 13%, which is right up there with Bosa, which that's really impressive. Obviously, he's not a Bosa, but he's pressuring the quarterback, and he wins. Uh, I would encourage you to check out, Kyle Posey put up a video he did a it was like a 14 minute film cut up and he had a whole bunch of Charles Amenahu film on there and it's just good stuff you know seeing how he wins what he's good at strengths weaknesses and all that kind of stuff so I would encourage you to check that out Uh, the Kyle Posey he's got a YouTube channel and he put a little film cut up and there's been other film cut ups as well but that's the best one that I've seen so far this week So that'll pretty much do it. Uh, Like, subscribe, comment, all that kind of good stuff. Enjoy the win. Enjoy it. Embrace it. It sucks losing. It really sucks going on a four-game losing streak. And we won a game. So celebrate it. Enjoy it. I'm going to go sip a little bit of brandy and enjoy the rest of my night. And uh, I will catch you next time. And Friday, we will have the Arizona Cardinals preview pod. I will catch you then. Peace out.